It's our time to come to the Word of God, and we're in the series Spiritual Fruit, as you can see, and the character of Christ. And we talked about love yesterday. Today we're coming to joy, the second of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, my wife reminded me this week that I kind of grew up with joy because that was the middle name of one of my sisters. But it was joy with an E, kind of like Anne with an E in Great Green Gables. And her name was Linda Joy Bradford. And when my, mo- when my mom would frequently get upset with her, <laughs> she'd, she'd go like this. She'd stamp her foot and go, Linda Joy, stop doing that. So when we started growing up and I became the tormenting older brother, she would look at me and she'd stamp her foot and she'd say, Jimmy Joy, you stop doing that. So Jimmy Joy, I'm, I'm glad that didn't stick as a nickname. And you can now put that completely out of your mind. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be that cool to say, oh, who's your pastor? Oh, Jimmy Joy. <laughs> no. It's easier to say than James Bradford, but it's got no class whatsoever. So in some way, I grew up with joy. But here we find the real joy without an E in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit, in other words, that which comes from the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy. And we'll get to it. We'll be taking these one at a time. Peace forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, uh, there, there is no law. You have joy. You can't go wrong. I mean, there's nothing wrong with just being filled with the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. And we've been saying that these nine fruit of the Holy Spirit are actually a character description of Jesus himself. And so Luke picks up on this one moment in Luke 10, 21, It says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. It's like all of a sudden, he has this moment. He's just overwhelmed with the joy of the Lord. Full of joy through the Holy Spirit. He he just bursts into praise and says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have revealed, uh, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. And he was so countercultural. He was so putting things on his head. And he was just full of delight in this moment that God turns the power structures of this world upside down. And he goes to the powerless and the disenfranchised and, and the most vulnerable. And he reveals the reality of life rooted in him. Hallelujah. And he was full of joy in the Holy, with the Holy Spirit. And then... Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church many years later in Rome. And uh, if you've ever grown up in the Bible Belt or you've maybe grown up around religious things like this, like, like I have, sometimes a lot of things get confused, to be honest. And secondary things become the primary things we fight about. And, some, you know, we start with knowing I, I, I can only... Uh, be a part of God's family through faith in Christ. He forgives my sin. He comes into my life by his spirit. But from then on, it's just a lot of teeth gritting, grunting, I hope I get everything right life. It's not life empowered by the Holy Spirit, let alone the joy of of the Lord. 
And so sometimes we who kind of grow up around this can get it confused. And that's exactly what Paul's wading into in Romans chapter 14. But then at some point he just pauses and he says, look, the kingdom of God is not a matter of all these things we argue about, all these external things, eating or drinking in that case. But this is what the kingdom of God is about. It's about righteousness and peace and, say it out loud with me, joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what, this is what following Jesus is all about. It's about righteousness, about him remaking you inside and, and, and there's holiness in your life and rightness and, and peace, which will be the next fruit of the Spirit, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it, that's what it means to belong to me. That's what the kingdom of God's all about. So I'm going to go on a fool's errand and try to de define joy. It's almost as hard as defining love last week. And uh, I got texts last week with better definitions of love than what I came up with. I know this is just part of the job. But um, so I'm going to risk myself a lot of texts, except we're leaving on our turkey trip this afternoon, which is also a reason I got to keep this sermon short because I'm going right from here to the airport. But um, you can still text me, though, if you've got a better definition. <laughs> but I really want us to do some work this morning around this word joy. So kind of what are we talking about in the first place? Here, here's my kind of homemade definition. Joy is faith-filled gladness and well-being. It's faith-filled gladness and a sense of well-being. It, this is it. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses here for joy, because he's writing this in the Greek language, uh, the Greek word literally means gladness, and it has as a secondary meaning like personal wellness, like, like well-being. And that's how we start our service today. Like, it is well with my soul, that no matter what you're going through, no matter what's in front of you or behind you, there's this deep centered sense that something is not vacant inside, something's not unfocused, but something is just well at my core. So th this pushes it deeper than happiness, but what I don't wanna do is put us in that difficult position of saying happiness and joy are two different things. Now we're going to see that joy is more than happiness, but let's face it, part of joy is that gladness. It is happen. It, there is a happiness that God brings to our lives, but it's a happiness um, and a kind of gladness that, that may not always show itself in happiness, but may, May, may go deeper. It's kind of that gladness of heart that something's right with my life, no matter how sick I feel right now, no matter how upset I feel right now, but there is something farther down. And that's why I want to say ultimately today two things about joy. First of all, it is remarkably energizing when you have joy. I mean, when you get up in the morning and it's cloudy and you're gloomy, and you're going to a job you don't want to go to, I mean, that doesn't make you very happy, right? But, and you will notice, I mean, you may not even make your bed that day because it's not very energizing. It drains you. Gloominess drains you. But joy will energize you. I mean, you get up, the sun's shining, you love your job, you jump out of bed, you know, you, you, you go, yeah, I mean, you're going to have energy 
when you have joy. And you might make your bed that day, actually. Miracle of miracles. And, and you're going to drive through Starbucks, drive through Lane, and they're going to charge you six bucks for a grande. But you're still going to smile at the barista. Because you got, I mean, it's just energizing. You're on the go. So joy will inflate your soul and energize you. I think the guy who got it best in the Old Testament was Nehemiah when he just flat out said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he had encountered a crowd that was weeping and wailing because, yeah, the temple had been rebuilt and, yeah, the walls had just been repaired, but, but, but the, Ezra was reading the Word of God and they, they, they realized how far they drifted from the Word of God and how disobedient they'd been to God. And so they're weeping and they're wailing and they're snotting and, 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 and Jeremiah just runs in there and says, whoa, stop it. And there's going to be a time. That'll be the next chapter to weep and wail and repent. But this is a time to celebrate. He said, let's bring out the food. Let's have a celebration. Because although the weeping and wailing you'll do the next day in repentance, as important as that is, that's not dri what drives us all our lives. I mean, weeping may last for a moment, um, but joy comes in the morning, the psalmist said. And, and joy is what energizes us for the long run. My favorite New Testament example of this and this is just almost impossible to believe, but it's amazing. Paul writes Corinth in southern Greece about, about the financial giving of some churches in northern Greece for the sake of, of some people in need in the mother church in Jerusalem. They're taking up an offering for them. And in, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2, in the midst of a very severe trial, speaking of these northern Greece churches, they're Overflowing joy. So you got that one? Overflowing joy. And their, whoops, extreme poverty. Welled up in them giving nothing because they had a good excuse not to give anything because their poverty trumped everything. No. He said it somehow welled up in rich generosity. So the math lover in me has to put this verse as like an equation. Joy plus poverty equals, you're kidding me, generosity? And that question mark's not a typo. I put it there on, what? In fact, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, he's not pulling any punches here. And in the world I live in, poverty speaks of lack of status, lack of privilege, lack of power, lack of resource, that would seem to define everything else about life. And these people were not rich. They were extremely poor. But they had joy that trumped poverty, overwhelming joy, and it energized incredible generosity. I'm going to put two statements on the screen here. We talked about happiness a few minutes ago. Ha happiness does depend on circumstances. And, and that's a, a fine thing. Paul would say to, in the New Testament, to his friend Philemon, he was saying, your love in Christ brings me great joy. And so he is, he is taking a circumstance and a person and saying, that circumstance, the way you live, causes me a lot of joy. And so it's not wrong 
to link joy to circumstances. Sometimes we get, you know, joy is radically different than happiness, and, and joy has nothing to do with circumstances. I wouldn't say joy has nothing to do with circumstances. God can engineer circumstances that, that just help to reassure us and help us to walk in his way. But here's what's true about joy. Joy outdistances circumstances. So even when the circumstances no longer become joy-reinforcing, it's still there, and it's durable. In fact, it's like it's defiant. That's why James could say in James 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face many kinds of trials. And sometimes I, I go, Lord, why do you put those adjectives in there? I mean, it would have been hard enough just for you to say, consider it joy when you face all kinds of miserable things. But do you have to say pure joy? Let it be pure joy when you go through a bunch of trials this week. But, but this, is, this is because joy is flat out defiant of circumstances at times. Because it doesn't come from circumstances. It can be reinforced by circumstances. But it comes, it's the fruit of your good life? No, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it's durable, and it's defiant, and it outdistances circumstances, and it keeps you energized. But before we go today, I, I, do, have to, I do have to say one other thing about joy. Not only is it re remarkably energizing, but joy is surprisingly elusive, unfortunately. And I really want you to stay with me here. It's surprisingly elusive. Now, David Brooks published an article in the New York Times late last year. New York Times is not exactly a conservative rag, and it's for sure not a Christian publication. But he wrote, he wrote an article called The Rising Tide of Global Sadness. And he said the general social survey asked people to rate their happiness levels. And between 1990, that's when my youngest daughter was, was born. She's 33 now. So between 1990 and just five years ago, 2018, the share of Americans who put themselves in the lowest happiness category increased by more than 50%. And that was before the pandemic even hit. But he said the really bad news is outside of America, it's abroad. For each year, Gallup survey, they survey roughly 150,000 people, over 140 countries. And they survey about their emotional lives. And experiences of negative emotions related to stress, sadness, anger, worry, and physical pain hit a record high in 2021. So our world is getting sadder. You may be a humanist with lots of confidence in the human condition, but our world is getting more violent and our world is getting sadder all the time. And that's why suicide and depression, I've got to talk about those two words this morning. That's why suicide and depression are so strong and so prevalent today. And suicide and depression over the last three years have been accelerated, of course, by the pandemic and ongoingly by social media which the pandemic immersed us in even more than before. 
And it's also being accelerated by this growing social ethic. You see it as a cultural ethic. You see it in every Disney movie. You see it in every kind of, kind of cultural messaging we get. And I, I think Pastor Matt Chandler from the Village Church in Dallas put it as concisely as I've ever heard it. Because we did, about 50 years ago in America, say there's no more absolute truth so truth is what you choose it to be, and that's morphed into truth is what you feel it to be. And above all, you got to do you. So your pursuit is to go inside yourself and search out your deepest desires and your strongest emotions and say, that's me. That's me. And that then defines your identity, whether it be your gender, your sexual orientation, your career in life, whatever. And when what you feel is the final definer as to who you are and you have to do you at all costs, then if anybody pushes back on what you feel, they're, they're challenging your identity and you have no option but to say, they must hate me. They must hate me. And then if you have grown up kind of overprotected and, and overparented, if I may say that, you probably are somewhat crippled in our culture when it comes to coping skills. So you think you're going to be the next Taylor Swift. You feel it deeply. That's your deepest desire but you couldn't carry a tune across a room and you're a lousy poet. <laughs> at some place, at some time, somebody's gonna love you enough to confront your deepest desires and to say that may not be who you are. And when you're crippled in your coping skills, all you want is a safe place where nobody ever says anything that makes you feel bad or you disagree with. And we become wimps. And our culture is wimping out because there's no sense. We sang this morning, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, not the solid marshmallow of what I feel that I could squish faster than I could say the word. But on Christ, there is a reference point for identity rooted in our creator, not what you feel about yourself. Because you are on sinking sand when that's all you have. And so we hit this cultural Christ, but it's in every message to us in our culture. And it's setting us up to be just more depressed. Plus, it's in the science. Social sciences are empirically proving that if you make happiness your goal in life, if you make what you feel and making it a happy feeling your goal in life, you inevitably end up sadder than when you started. The human condition in that direction that our culture is taking is not working. So in the lifespan of my youngest daughter, people's perception of personal happiness, I mean, dropped by 50%. That's what's happening. But I want to tell you there's hope and there's help. There's hope and there's help. If you are struggling with suicidal thoughts, and I imagine a few of you probably are in a crowd this big. If you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, I want to just say, there is hope. 
And suicide's not the answer. It's not the answer. There are other answers. And you don't want to do this to yourself. Because suicide, in part, is not only a, an act of violence against yourself, it's an, it's an emotional act of violence against everybody that knows you and loves you. Because the grief is awful when you lose somebody who committed suicide. You're tormented to your grave with thoughts. How come I didn't catch that? What could I have done more? What could I have said? I mean, the guilt is often. You are sentencing all the people in your life to a lifetime of guilt if you take your life. And on top of it, there are options. First of all, there's a God who says, how about you let me define whether your life's worth living or not? Uh, how, how about I made you? And how about I love you? And how about you have purpose and value? And you let that begin to define who you are. And then inevitably, you're going to need to talk to somebody. You're going to need to say, say you know, here's, here's, you need to find a parent, a pastor, a, a good friend, a counselor. You, you, you need to do this. And, and if there seem to be no options for you anywhere, I mean, there are hotlines. You can look up the 1-800 hotline, suicide line, or they've really simplified that now. You call 911 when there's an emergency. If you are struggling with suicidal thoughts and you dial, I'm not joking here, this is true, you dial 988. Um, there will be people that you can talk to. I'm going to have opportunity to pray for you at the end of the service. I mean, there are options. There's help, and there's hope if you're struggling with suicide. Well, Pastor, I'm not struggling with suicide, but that depression word, you know, I feel guilty. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be depressed. I just want to say depression's a very complicated thing, but there's hope and help for you. First of all, you know, I, I, um, I just think we need that on Christ we stand gospel foundation, first of all. And that does change anything, whether emotionally we're happy on a given day or not. The, inter, um, the internationally respected scholar and ministry leader Christopher Wright put it this way, I know a number of Christians who suffer from depression, including within my own family. And they testify to the fact that they still have their underlying assurance of the truth of the gospel and the love of God. They still have that assurance. They're fighting depression, but they have this assurance of that the gospel truth and God's love. And knowing those things deep down means that they can know joy as an objective fact or truth even when they don't have joyful emotional feelings. I had to read that paragraph several times. But that's the baseline. That's on Christ the solid rock I stand. That no matter how I may feel emotionally, there is this sense, even when my emotions feel depressed, there is this sense of well-being deep within me. God wants to give you this. And even take you beyond that. If you're really suffering from depression, I, I would encourage you, you know, some, sometimes depression is caused by things that aren't working right in our body, by chemical imbalances, things in our brains. I, I was attending a little church right at the edge of the University of Minnesota, a little AG church, and there was this couple in their 30s. I was a college kid, and they, they, were, 
they, they sit right behind me, and they were the friendliest people, nice, sharp couple. And, and uh, they, they'd always want to chat when service was over, so I'd turn around and we'd talk, and they were kind. To me, the kid college student in the church. And, and one day she told me the wildest story. She said, Jim, you wouldn't believe it. I, I, I went, I'm normally a happy camper. And, and all of a sudden, like, like for months, I was just feeling down all the time, just depressed. I couldn't figure out. Finally, it got so bad one day, I threw myself on, on the bed. I buried my head in my pillow. And I said, oh, God, what's happening to me? And she said, clear as a bell, I heard the words, go see your dentist. She said, I rebuke that thought. That's, that's got to be the devil messing with my head. No offense to you, Dennis. But that's not what I would think God would say. So I fought it off, I fought it off. My head was still buried in my pillow, and it wouldn't go away. Go see a dentist. So she said, fine, I felt like I need to go see a dentist. Turned out she had an abscessed tooth that was pouring poison into her system, upsetting her whole biochemical balance, and that's why she was feeling depressed all the time. She got that tooth pulled, and she was a happy, she was her normal happy self again. So sometimes this is, we don't look down on people who have depression. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Sometimes you've had a child, and that postpartum stuff, you ought to be happier than you've ever been. You've got a child, and, and yet you're just feeling more depressed than you've ever been. I mean, these things are complicated things. And sometimes things aren't working right chemically in our brains. It's not bad. Like you take medication for something else. It's not bad to take medication if you're really struggling with depression. You're praying it away. It's not going away. It's also not bad to go see a counselor and, and to deal with some of the mental and emotional aspects of depression. Because depression tends to have, if it's not like caused by some kind of chemical imbalances in your body, Depression is sometimes called, given structure by a system of lies, misbeliefs that we believe. I'm trash. I'm worthless. I'm not worth anything. The Bible says, oh, I love my neighbor as myself. Well, how's that going to happen? Because I hate myself. You know, and God doesn't call us to some kind of self-obsessed self-love. But he does call us to an it is well with my soul place, where, where you know that he really does love you, but instead, there's this structure of lies, and I'll never amount to anything, and nobody likes me, and, and then some of us have been victims of serious trauma in our past. We've been deeply hurt by other people, whether it be emotionally or sexually or physically, abu physically abused, and that trauma sometimes takes time to work out, and usually, not many people work through trauma all alone. This is part that friends make life better, right? That's why we've got those tables in the lobby. We've got to do this as a family. We've got to do this as a community. And you walk. And we've got some amazing Christian counselors here that will help you walk through that. Now, I had a friend years ago who said to me, her name was Beth. She said, she, she kind of complicated background in her life. And she was still just in her 20s. And she said, Pastor Jim, um, you know, uh, when you prayed for me after church, some things happened to me that didn't happen in the counselor's office. But she said, on the other hand, some things happened in the counselor's office that didn't happen when you prayed for me. Why? Because sometimes we need to get our thinking sorted out. 
I mean, your emotions will tend to follow what you believe and what you tell yourself. And we need to start thinking biblically about our lives. And sometimes the feelings in the opposite direction, the untruths are so powerful that you need to start thinking biblically with maybe the help of somebody who can help you put that trauma in perspective, put the wrong messages into perspective, even just to listen to you. It's just wonderful that somebody would finally just sit there and not interrupt me for 20 minutes and just listen to my soul. I mean, that's an amazing thing. And so whether it's a counselor or a trusted mentor or prayer partner or pastor or friend, don't walk, don't walk this alone. But the other part of what my friend said to me is where I want to land. Because Beth also said to me, but the fact is when you laid your hands on me and prayed for me, something happened that didn't happen in the counselor's office. It was like God supernaturally touched me. Because we're talking about joy that comes from where? The Holy Spirit. The joy of the Lord. Here's what Jesus said. We're in a spiritual battle. And the thief, he said, comes to steal and kill and destroy. This is the spiritual part of this. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come to give you life and that more abundantly. And no matter where you are in the whole depression issue, don't give up hope. You can make progress. And that, that depression doesn't define you. A God who created you and loves you defines you. And a, a God who has purpose for your life no matter what your mood right now may be on a given day, he loves you and he is making a way. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life into the full. And that's why Paul could write, but the fruit, so the fruit of the Spirit is joy. That's a part of that process. That's a part of that process. And I've, I've seen this happen in my life. I was just really discouraged. When I pastor in Southern California, I went through a few months of really being discouraged. It's the second time in my life this happened. I, wasn't, I wouldn't call it depression, but not clinical depression, but I was, I was just blue, you know. I was walking on this blue fog. And the church was fine. It was a church about this size, and everything was going fine. And there were no problems, no problems with my staff, no problems with anything. I just kept beating myself up. I kept fighting myself. I'd preach a sermon and go home. That was just the worst sermon in the, in the world. And, you know, so eventually it wore my wife out. <laughs> and we have our weekly prayer time. And one day, she just got mad at the devil. And she said, Jesus, I'm sick of my husband moping around all the time. I rebuke you. I've never heard her pray like this way before. She said, I rebuke you. She laid her hands on me. I rebuke you, devil. I command this discouragement to leave him. And no kidding, it broke in that moment. Because there's nothing wrong with me physically. And I wasn't necessarily you know, having any mental illness issues or other things. I mean, I was in a spiritual battle. And, and the Bible talks about this spirit of heaviness that can be on us. And it just broke. And literally, second time in my life this happened, I opened my eyes and the room looked brighter. And it broke. 
And that had to be 25 years ago, and it's never come back. And, you know, this, this is what Jesus can do. Because there is not just a physical, not just an emotional and mental, but there's a spiritual dimension to this. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to heal past trauma. We need the Holy Spirit to lift discouraged hearts. He can do that. We need the Holy Spirit to mend broken places. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal freeing truths. And we need the Holy Spirit to fill the empty places in our lives. So will you stand with me?